Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a podcast where GMs get together and talk about um, topics related to running the game. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, we are joined by Kyle Latino. Kyle, say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi, Kyle. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your experience with with running role-playing games, playing role-playing games? Are you, are you actively in a campaign? I've been running... My first RPG was back in middle school, and it was um, Dragon Ball Z, the tabletop role-playing game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was miserable, and... <laughs> I do not. I do not suggest ever revisiting it. But uh, it got us going, and um, it was still kind of like tapering off with the whole like focus on the family, like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Satanic Panic stuff. Mm-hmm. So this was like it was because it was a cartoon show that was on like network television. Um, even if it was on the like one of the fuzzy channels, uh, we, <laughs> we, it was still like technically like okay. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it started, and then I, I yeah, I, I played a lot of Shadowrun and some Dungeons and Dragons uh, in college, mm-hmm. and uh, and then yeah, just have been messing with the hobby ever since, and am actually currently studying it um, as part of my practice as a fine arts um, uh, uh, visual arts MFA program right now. That's great. Um, what are you? Yeah, how are you using that in your MFA? Right now, um, mm-hmm. I am with, studying with Doctor Evan Torner. We're studying LARPs mostly um, because mm-hmm. I, I really like that collaborative angle, um, and mm-hmm. I really like uh, I, I really like putting people on the spot, but also kind of lowering the level of of. Um, kind of the stratification of artist and viewer and kind of like, no, we're all equal performers at once. It's just mm-hmm. one of us is making you do this. And, you, you, <laughs> you know, yes, like, yeah. that's kind of all there. That's the only real difference is like who starts the who starts the game, I guess. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's almost like the kind of postmodern theater you could think about as a, as a LARP. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, like there, there's a bunch of stuff. I think uh, Yoko Ono's instruction paintings are beautiful and could be taken as very small, like micro LARPs. Um, mm-hmm some of which would kill you if you actually followed their instructions. So I, don't, I don't recommend actually acting all of them out, but some yeah. of them would, would, would be quite beautiful to act them out. Um, and then, um, yeah, the, the theater of the press kind of comes out of like mm-hmm. uh, uh, Brazilian uh, reconstruction after their, their civil war in the early 20th century. And, and yeah, so there's a lot of like rich history of, of that kind of stuff. It's just when you actually just call it a game, you have the decency to tell people that you're asking them to do something that's, you know, <laughs> primarily for their entertainment is like when people when people get real huffy about it in the program, which has been fun to see. Yeah, it's fascinating. But I have to say, uh, I tripped up on the whole Dragon Ball Z thing. Oh, so you want to go back to that? <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to have your basic level understanding of an rpg be the dragon ball z rpg Uh, it was actually because the rules were so awfully defined was it was actually a great starting point and actually when i like started playing like you know proper like d20 3.5 or or fourth edition D D. 
Um, I really, I, I found it just like soul crushingly complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and same thing, like, I mean, I never ran a game of Shadowrun, um, but even just playing is like, you're, you'd have to like open up a spreadsheet in order to understand what your chances are. But the, the basic mechanics, it was like a success mechanic system. So like similar to Shadowrun, um, dra the Dragon Ball Z RPG that we played, it was D6s and um, you know, four and up counted as a success and anything below didn't. And, but the more powerful you were, it just, it would scale, but you just roll more and more D sixes. Oh, so yeah. So like by the end of our campaign, we were just dumping like literal, like buckets of D sixes out on the table and we would spend like five minutes just like, t just, just cooperating on sorting through what every roll was. <laughs> That's so appropriate, though, for Dragon yeah. Ball Z. Yeah, it, it was, it, yeah, I mean, it really captured kind of like the power creep of, mm -hmm. of place. How to run um, games that you played in college, was that like one campaign or would you play like individual stories? What was Well, that? Uh, we all, I mean, I don't know, I forget, I think it was second edition Shadowrun, which was entirely too lethal. Um, and basically, like some some junkie with a shotgun could just like murder your whole party in one. <laughs> and I was always the first to go because I was just yeah. like, I, I always wanted to be like a cool like cyber samurai like mm -hmm. Gray Fox for Metal Gear Solid or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I would just be like, you know, I'm, I don't need guns. All I need is this sweet like <laughs> monofilament katana, and like you know I could slice atoms in half, and I just some some like. Yeah, some twitched out junkie would just blow me away on the first turn. Yeah. I made like three different characters. They were all like cyber ninjas that kept yeah. getting blown away. Never learned, did you? No. I was convinced I could find a way to make it work, and I never did. That's just really lovely. Yeah, okay. Well, we should dive into our actual topic. Otherwise, we're going to talk about um, failed Shadowrun. Yeah, all of the terrible time. games that I've played. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So just to recap, the way we do this is we actually determine the topic we'll be talking about right here uh, as we record. And I have in front of me a chart with uh, 10 different topics on it. And Kyle, I'd like you to make a straight up D10 roll to determine what we'll be talking about for the next 20 or so minutes. No, so go no ahead and make a roll and let me know what you got. All right. That's a five. A five. Okay. Uh, the topic that you and your role have determined for us is... Props and handouts, and when to use them. Ooh, this is a good one. So oh, let's. Uh, yeah, so ahead. before we start, let's let's talk about what this means. Not that we've failed to do this in the past and it was disastrous, but uh, <laughs> uh, so what? What is a prop and a handout in an RPG? It's like when one of your players like just really needs five bucks for a sandwich. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, so uh, the way is, that. Uh, the way that I think about it. <laughs> uh, You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for, for what you bring to this. <laughs> um, the way that I think about that is, you know, so this would be like a, a note that they find somewhere. Um, or if you have even like a, a, a portrait of what an NPC looks like that you might, you know, hand out to them um, so they can get a, a feel for that or a map, you know, something along those lines where it's, it's more of a physical thing that you, you aren't just narrating to the table. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. So I can jump right in with mm -hmm. an example, like with my own personal defining example of when I used a prop in an RPG. This is many years ago, and uh, 
and it may explain why I don't do a ton of this <laughs> uh, anymore. Mm. So yeah, I spent. I think I was running Call of Cthulhu and I or or re- some sort of related horror game, and I spent a long time uh, composing a letter that like the that the players would come across in the game. So it was this multi-page letter, and the trick about it was I then. I took like a needle and I made little pinpricks under like specific letters. Um, and the idea was that if you held the letter up to the light, you would the pinpricks would like indicate letters like ABC that you could then put together to read a real hidden message. I was super pleased with how clever this was. Mm-hmm. And like then I unveiled it to the players and like 20 minutes later, I just had to walk them through the process. <laughs> <of it>. like, <laughs> Like, it's like, are you sure you don't want to look more closely at the letter? No, I mean like the letter you're holding in your physical yeah. hand right now. Like, I mean, what if you, what if you sort of held it up, <laughs> held it up to the light here? Do you see anything? No. Are you sure? Look closer. So, uh, so that was the time I used the prop. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, how about you guys? Tell did, me a memorable experience. Did you have like an NPC wander by and say like, you know, like. <laughs> You just kind of stopped it. <laughs> I it, it, imagine the most awkward scenario you can, and that's what happened. Basically, yeah. there might have been GM tears involved, but yeah. Uh, what about you, Kyle? This, I guess, this is kind of a cop out because maps really count. Mm-hmm. Maps um, definitely count. Yeah, all right, count. yeah. I I really like uh, for my current games that I've been running in Dungeon World. I do have like a giant overworld map. Mm-hmm. That is like a, a thousand mile tall continent that you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I really when I played that with when it's it, when it hasn't been online, I like it just takes up the whole table and I just put that down and I have little meeples that I use to track everybody's progress and everything, and um, it really helps set the mood. So I, I I like it, but it doesn't have too much like specific information on it. So it is like a it's a very flexible um, thing, but it does kind of help people like feel like they're on this big adventure in a, in a world full of infinite possibility. The the one that I've made and used and been most pleased with. So I've played in uh, an online session or, or three of that game. So you actually print out that map that you've been showing us online. Uh, well, I, it's actually like a nice looking version that I made like oh. in Adobe Illustrator. So okay. yeah, I, for, for, uh, for online games, I have a spreadsheet that has colored cells that match all the different like biomes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll use that like as a hex crawler. Uh, and I have a player facing version that I'll share with them over Google um, documents and then I have the GM map that has like all my encounter tables and stuff and information about what what they're actually walking into. So that that's really nice. Yeah, as far as like the the ambition of like handing something that is going to rely on player skill to solve, I would never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having all sorts of bad flashbacks to like. Uh dungeon puzzles like word scrambles and mm-hmm. stuff like that that i yeah. physically handed to my players for them to work out uh with with mixed results um, <laughs> what is the purpose of a prop or a handout like this like what when what makes you think i i should create this as a physical thing to show or to give the players i think it's almost always player immersion which i don't really believe in as a thing anymore like it used to be really important to me 
that like you know nobody metagame and like don't don't ever say the word hit point in front of you like that kind of <laughs> that kind of bogus but like now it's like no we're all just sitting around and playing a game i think i think nowadays i, I like to i like to use props that will give people some amount of like game clarity but also mm-hmm. a sense of adventure so i think that's why maps work so well for me um mm-hmm. In, in that respect but yeah there is something like when people can you know pick up like a token or or can pick up uh like a, a map or a letter or something that they, they they feel like maybe there's you know there's less of a disconnect between their their character thoughts and their um and their and their real thoughts this is this is really interesting i've been thinking about this uh, more lately because I, I tend to run all my games very theater of the mind right so there's nothing on the table um, mm. that's partly because I'm lazy and I don't want to get like miniatures together <laughs> and stuff but you know partly just because it's that's the sort of game that I, I like to run um, but I experimented something recently where I uh, the party was going to sort of a new location a new town and so one of the players was from that town but he he hadn't been there in like 30 years or so so I printed off the map um, of the town for him that basically just had like the, the layout of the buildings um, and I gave it to him and I said, you can share this with the, the party or not, but this is what you remember um, of the location, right? So he didn't have the like, you know, this one has a bunch of zombies in it and like, you know, <laughs> you know this is where the, you know, the dragon is, you know, he didn't have that information, but he had the like, oh, I remember, you know, when I was younger that like, this is where the town square was and like there was a building over here and there. Yeah, so that, that actually ended up being kind of an interesting, like, character moment for him. Um, you know, not like a, you know, a super, you know, amazing, deep, everybody was crying sort of character moment. But it was like, you know, <laughs> Well, was there was nice. that one person who was crying. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, for other reasons. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, it was nice to have had that. That I've done, done like a prop um, was, you know, doing the, like, the classic handwritten letter from the big bad evil guy that, like, you you find after you kill one of their underlings. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and that was purely just for, you know, for immersion or atmosphere, if you will. Not immersion, right? Because they, like, the immersion actually breaks really fast if you just hand someone (laughs) something. But atmosphere is a different thing from immersion, I think, Um, right? So the atmosphere of it was was very cool. It was like, oh, we found this letter. And like, oh, it's actually like a letter that's written out. So this one is more important than all the other ones that we've been ignoring. Yeah, it it is really interesting how the the second you actually hand something, like like a... uh, like a handout like that to somebody, it immediately like in, interrupts whatever kind of flow state you had established. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, whoa, what's happening? Whoa, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't do this. <laughs> are you allowed to do this? Um, I was gonna say there are there are some games that uh, that actually lean pretty heavily on uh, like props, props and handouts, and I say this because I've I've played and run a lot of Call of Cthulhu, and mm-hmm. basically every call of cthulhu adventure has like documents like whether it's like a mm-hmm. you know ticket stubs or telegrams or things like that in the module if you're playing a published module that you're mm-hmm. intended to like photocopy and hand out so that's a game that that believes pretty strongly that that this is an immersion tool i guess and yeah it's part of basically every published call of cthulhu adventure you'll see has a bunch of these um i i don't i can't really say i've seen this that to that extent in any other game i mean you occasionally will get like a D module with like a the letter from the vampire is like you know written out on a page in a cheesy gothic font i guess yeah, you C- could. curse of strahd right yeah. yeah 
Uh, well, they also have uh, Curse of Strahd also has tarot cards that will change yeah. the seed of like where certain items are. So you can go do a tarot card reading and it will like dynamically change some of the key item locations oh, and encounters and, and everything. Yeah. So like every time you play it, it'll be a little different and it feels like, you know, spooky and satanic and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, my my parents would have been all over that. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, <laughs> that Shut is it uh, that is neat and a little weird. Like um, it, that the players are drawing like the cards. Are the characters drawing the cards like in the game and it's determining these things? So you would actually you would do that. You would they would have a a, a reading at like if they interact with the um, stereotypical gypsy. St- camp mm-hmm. so they would go in some like you know some old lady would be like come closer <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> let me read your fortune exactly yeah. that'll be 60 bucks <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I i do have to say if matt wilson was on uh matt wilson is either like screaming into his 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 iphone right now <laughs> or he's he's just waiting for it so i i uh, I played in a Call of Cthulhu game that he did, a Trail of uh, Cthulhu um, game that he did, and he did an amazing job with all the props and the handouts and stuff. Like he, he definitely set the bar very high. <laughs> so what, what does that mean? Like what, what is what yeah, did he do? So he did. Uh, so in addition to like you know, I think just you know photocopying and stuff, he, he had like little like newspaper snippets. Um, he had character portraits for all the NPCs that we met. Um, he actually handmade some little books um, with some of the the information um in it like yeah he just he kind of went all out so it was like every session there would be some really cool little like prop that would hit the table and like that's where right again like the immersion was broken mm. <laughs> instantly because we're all like handing it around like oh this is so cool and stuff but i mean from like a story perspective it was really neat because we started to build sort of a portfolio of all these um these small little clues you know so and there'd be a couple times where like you know you get a new clue and then you're you're bringing out all your other little props and like laying them out and like trying to, <laughs> to cross-reference stuff um you know so it's a very different game from D, which is like you know very combat focused right whereas this is an investigative um sort of thing so i think it can so like yeah an investigative game you can support that a little bit um but i mean i think andy like your anecdote like <laughs> you have to make sure that there's there's ways for them to get the information probably in a couple different ways um not just in that one you know perfectly clever <laughs> clever handout i think fifth edition actually has two in fiction it's like setting manuals that are out so like volo's mm-hmm. guide that's technically like in fiction so that's that's oh. written in the voice of a fictional character that so that's something that you could maybe not hand the whole thing over because there's mm-hmm. a bunch of stat blocks that probably don't really belong there but mm-hmm. um so you could you could have copies and then whatever Morden Kaiden's like magical yeah. tooth fairy <laughs> the, the tome of foes <laughs> yeah that's it uh, yeah. so which yeah just easy Morden Kaiden on the label just like yeah yeah anyways but he's 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 got his he's got his deal but he, uh, and then the the deck of many things is another thing that that's that's a that's a D and D trope that. You know, it's this cosmic card of deck, or deck of cards that you would mm-hmm. draw, and like you could become a millionaire, or you could be damned for eternity to like the plane of ever crying or something yeah. like that. <laughs> so it could just completely destroy your game anytime yeah. somebody. But as long as it's clear, it's. I think that that's kind of a cool thing, and it, it and it, it draws upon um, what RPGs already do really well, which is kind of 
you know, roll the dice and see what happens, you know, pick a mm -hmm. card and see what ha happens. You know, um, one kind of low-level type of prop is, like, I was reminded of this by you mentioning, um, you know, just having portraits of NPCs, but mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I will frequently say, yeah, you see, uh, in fact, I was running a, a game last night of the One Ring, and I was like, yeah, you're you're facing this kind of slimy looking, you know, humanoid creature. And yeah, you know, it just looks like this. And, you know, I hold up the rule book and yeah. point at the illustration. <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, it's, it's crude, but, uh, and do you guys remember, um, I don't remember how extensive it was, but in first edition Dungeons & Dragons, there were at least some modules that came with these little booklets of like illustrations of rooms in the dungeon yeah. that you were exploring. And the idea was you were supposed to, they would get in the room and you would like hold up the picture of the room for them to look at. It's kind of a neat idea. I always found that the illustrations like were less cool than, um, you know, what I was imagining in my mind. So I didn't tend to use those. Mm -hmm. um, but it's an interesting idea. I, I want to say if there's even, I, I want to say there might be even like a fifth edition uh, book out there that has this, uh, but I, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I do think that's kind of what you're supposed to do with some of the spot illustrations, like from, like, uh, you know, Tales from the Yawning Portal or something like that, you know. Mm. It's, it's, but the, I will always go to bat for those early illustrators, but I can, I completely agree that, uh, you know, spending the whole dungeon kind of like letting people build their own like mental um uh setting of it and then to show them like no it, actually everything i've been explaining looks like this is just yeah I, it's like i think it's always going to be jarring i think it's it's neat and, and then there's also the the problem of especially if it's like puzzle stuff um and in call of cthulhu i think it probably works a lot better uh but the 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 signal to noise ratio is always a problem like you know mm -hmm. how much of this is just like what the illustrator thought was cool and then versus you know something that somebody's going to have to ask questions about to really figure out the puzzle yeah you could easily get a like trying every every possible thing with the candelabra in the corner yeah. it's like <laughs> well no it's it's not that it's <laughs> have you guys had players create a prop uh, like any sort like an in-game artifact of some sort no i have had uh several players like draw their own um uh, portraits player character portraits and i always really like that um so because it that that helps me kind of like understand uh, as as a gm like what how they view their character because you get so many like nonverbal cues out of mm -hmm. the out of their decisions um so that's always been fun but yeah i i can't think of anybody that's like built their own like like magical widget that's like this is my magical <laughs> widget that that my character has and now i have it too one of my games most of the play i think actually all the players have bought dice that they feel like represent their character mm, pretty wow, well yeah. um which that's kind of fun right so that's that's just like a, a very low level way of them showing their personality um and then that same game i took like an hour out of one session and had them um, make their initiative trackers um, themselves. So like I just use little tents on top of on the top of my screen, just fold over a, a note card and have their their names on it. Um, so I, I brought out a bunch of colored pencils and threw them down on the the table and just let them kind of have at it for a while. <laughs> um, but that was really fun too. So just with a couple different colors and you know their names and drawing little drawings and stuff on those um, those trackers, they were able to give some more personality. I remember in, in middle school, I was running a, a fantasy campaign, uh, 
and it was it was like Narnia meets Pokemon. So like <laughs> it was just like the, the best combination of everything that I liked at the time. I, I do remember like I would make lots of illustrations that I would pull up and, and show people and, and they all thought it was it was just the bee's knees to, to, to see graphite on lined notebook paper like that. I, I think I've really stepped away from that. Like a lot of times I'll draw the monsters that I that I come up with for my campaign. Um, just for me though, like mm -hmm. not, I don't actually like share that during the game because mm -hmm. I like people coming up with, especially if it's horror, it's like the last thing you want to do is, is like, say it's like, no, it's actually far less horrible. Yes. Than what you thought it was. <laughs> yeah. It actually looks kind of goofy, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And I feel like it's, that's like what goes on in the player's own imagination is kind of their own business and even if they get something remarkably wrong that still oftentimes creates uh interesting situations um uh and and, and you know when they're acting on assumptions that aren't true it, it can sometimes be frustrating but also it, it it's that's that can add some kind of like slapstick or something and it's mm -hmm. like oh i i wouldn't have done that but i, I already rolled yep. it so you know yeah. just kind of yep sorry <laughs> You know, this is, I, I don't know why this has jumped to mind, but I'm remembering another time early in my gaming life that I produced some in-game artifacts. And uh, at one point, like in middle school, early high school, I was playing um, a spy role-playing game with a number of my friends. We played a lot of Top Secret back in the day. And on at least a couple occasions, I wrote up and physically mailed like uh, documents, like orders to the players, um, you know, so like as if they were getting in the mail, like in <laughs> fact, they did receive in the mail That's and then beautiful. they open it and it was like, you know, uh, report to, you know, Andy's house at, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it was, so it cute. was, it was pretty dumb, but uh, I, I probably only did that once or twice. But, um, and I suppose you could do, if you were playing, you know, a modern game that used where in the game tools like email and the internet and stuff mm -hmm. like that were available, you you couldn't you could do some kind of fun stuff with some kind of like digital props sort of mm -hmm. um you know emails or text messages that that connect to the game in game experience in yeah. some way and getting a letter from a friend like <laughs> like that would just blow your mind in the first place and then if it was related to the game you were playing like yeah, yeah i'm going to steal that as as soon as i have an opportunity <laughs> yes i have yeah. um yeah i actually have uh, some like beta rules for a LARP by post. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's called uh, pen pals versus the star spawn. Uh -huh. And it's like, a, yeah, it's like a Lovecraft thing where you are dealing with different ends of your, uh, of, of this, like, you know, cosmic horror in the 1920s, but in your respective cities, wherever you are, um, mm -hmm. So it's just so far reaching that you're you're pulling away and it uses kind of like a powered by the apocalypse resolution system to say like mm -hmm. how well you deal with it. And then you write a story that goes, you know, that illustrates how well or how poorly you did um, you did this thing. And then you're supposed to actually like, you know, write it up, like write a one page summary of your story and, and mail it off to somebody. I, uh, I have this dream one day of running a Call of Cthulhu game set in uh, Soviet Russia. I have this, I own the scenario already. I'm all ready to run it. And the reason I haven't run it yet is because I don't yet have like a Russian 
army hat that I can <laughs> wear as the GM. Yes. But uh, one day I am going to wear that hat and I'm going to play the, the Soviet national anthem, you know, on my iPod as people come in. And uh, uh, but it, that leads me into a question I want to ask. I don't know if this is drifting off topic or not, but did you guys consider music and lighting as kind of elements of, of, of as props? Do you use them? I, 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 I mean, Chris, last, about a year ago, you came over and uh, we yeah. were playing a, we were playing like a, a law and order version of the uh, fifth edition beginner box. That was and one of my, my, my I, most I was, favorite GM moments. <laughs> I, was, I, was just constantly, I just pulled up the chung chung sounds and I would play that. <laughs> So Cedra, and every time I was like, oh, have we gone to a new area? And Chris yeah. would be like, yeah. <laughs> chung, chung. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me rephrase that. So that was... <laughs> Everything else was the best. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a good time. I, yeah. I do like to play stuff, but I'm not like keep... I have too many things to do when I'm running a game to keep track of like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to play the... Ninja Turtles, you know, NES theme song for this scene because it's, they're supposed to be really pumped up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, I don't really control it quite that way. But uh, I do like to put on some uh, some theme appropriate music. And, and uh, uh, last night um, we were uh, my partner Elise was running uh, her first game ever as, oh. as GM. Oh, she fantastic! Did a wonderful job. But I had the delight of. Uh, of using my uh, record player to play uh, prog rock and uh, nice. like acid jazz as the as as it permits. So like as a player, I was kind of like setting the mood for that, and that was pretty fun. But oh well, that's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was uh, a good time. It was a, she, she did she did just uh, I I think she's actually a much better GM than I am. <laughs> Uh, so, That's you should have, when she yeah. when she gets a, a, a little bit more experience, you should totally have have her on here. But um, like she, you know, in, in this case, like she probably wouldn't have a whole lot to say about props because she's, you know she's only just done the one game. I played um, a uh, I ran a game a couple weeks ago now in uh, Waterdeep, and uh, the bulk of the adventure took place in or around uh, a tavern, I, uh, the Yawning Portal uh, mm. Tavern, and. Yeah, so I just went on YouTube and found, you know, a three-hour loop, looping, uh, like, tavern sound effect and uh, had that playing in the background. And it, it was, uh, I don't usually do, like, sound effects in music, but um, I have to say that kind of added something to have the that background murmur of a, of a crowd and clanking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, plates and things like that. Um, it made me think I'm going to do more of that kind of thing in the future. Interesting. I I think that would drive me nuts, but also, I I just I don't like those noises when I hear them in real life either. So <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, like you you quickly tune it out, and it just kind of blend, it it fades into a somewhat pleasant just kind of background noise. I mean, you I didn't have it on loud, so it wasn't distracting. But mm-hmm. you know, during the lull during a lull in the conversation in the game, you know, the sound would kind of pop back out and remind you, like, oh hey, that's kind mm-hmm. of cool. I don't know. I, it wasn't a, a transcendent role-playing experience, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I do think some kind of music is really important, uh, uh, even if it's not like even if, if you're not using it as a as a scene by scene soundtrack. Because um, we we had uh, this this class meeting, and everybody had knows each other in this class, but we were all just showing up in this classroom, and nobody was talking. 
So I just pulled out my iPhone and started playing some uh, Herbie Hancock uh, music. And, and as soon as that beat dropped, like everybody just started talking like they actually knew each other and cared about one another. It was weird. Mm. It was like there was this stifling quietness and everybody was just like in library mode for, for some reason. So, huh. um, yeah, I, yeah, I do think that it helps let people know that it's okay to be noisy and, and have fun and, and kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, cause a ruckus. It, it's, it, there's, it, there's some kind of like instruction that comes along with playing music that lets people know they can talk. Um, the seven C campaign that I play in, uh, my GM, Matt, he, he has a theme song for us that he plays at the beginning. Like as soon as we transition from like hanging out, chatting to actually playing, he'll play the theme song. It's super great. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a really good song kind of pumps us all up. We all like dance a little bit and sing along and then we're playing. Right. So oh, it's, a, it's a super good transition. Did he compose, did he create the song? I mean, is it, <laughs> is it the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not sure where he got it. Um, it's great, and I swear, if I hear it somewhere out in the wild, I'll probably fall down and, like, <laughs> and just start, you know, swashbuckling. Yeah, I've uh, heard of I've heard of people of groups uh, putting like choosing as a group uh, mm-hmm. a theme song that they play, and that's always seemed kind of fun to me, but also not the sort of thing I usually do. So, it, it oh, awesome. I did play. Uh, I did as a player once. I played in a an everyone game. As a warforged, uh, warforged bard, mm-hmm. and I, I, I would spend my entire like in combat. I, I would spend all the time in between my turns writing songs <laughs> that matched the situation. So when yeah. I got to it, I would sing it, and everybody hated it. And yeah. that was the first and last of that game ever happened. And <laughs> but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that, and I'm so glad you didn't do that, like, at my game table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the only time I ever used music was uh, during the this Kids on Bikes. So I solicited uh, people to send in their favorite 80s songs, um, and I made this huge playlist for it and then had that on in the background while we were playing Kids on Bikes. So Kids on Bikes is like a Stranger Things-style game. So you're yeah, playing. that sounds perfect for that yeah. genre. It was, yeah, it was really awesome. And it, like, you know, a couple times, like, a, a song would come on, and it was like, yes, like, this this actually fits with what's happening with the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, which yeah, was I really think, fun. I think, uh, I think you're really hitting on something with this music, um, with this the talk about music. And when I think it, it works and when it doesn't, it's like, yeah, if you're trying to force immersion with handouts Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a good idea because it's it really is a completely different and unsupported mechanic for people to look at a physical object instead of rolling a notice check or something about it but you know it's like it's everything else in the game is telling this hasn't prepared you for that moment but if if it is about atmosphere i think it's 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 uh always a good idea and i think i never had like an atmosphere choice go poorly mm-hmm. um but i i have had immersion choices go per- poorly <laughs> yeah yeah well i think we should probably uh wrap up this conversation uh mm-hmm. do you guys have any final thoughts on the topic of props or handouts any anecdotes you wanted to share that you haven't gotten a chance to mention yet i don't know yeah. i guess i guess what I, I what do we all think like yay or nay i i think no like i i i don't think it's worth it most of the time I think uh, they are worth it if you're going to go kind of all in on it as part of your campaign. Um, but 
uh, at least my experience is kind of one-offs here and there. It just, it sort of creates more work for you and then like sets weird expectations, right? So like the, the one handout that I've done, you know, which was the, you know, like the handwritten note from the big bad evil, evil person, it's like, okay, great. Like that came out and then what, people were sort of like waiting for the next one or they had forgotten about it. So it was, you know, as fun as it was to put together that one time, like it, it didn't really add anything um, to the campaign. So yay so, or nay, Chris? Uh, so yeah, all that to say is um, I would say yay if you're going to go for it, but you know, if you're not going to go for it, just don't even bother. That's wishy-washy. Yeah. Uh, whatever. It's your podcast, I guess. I'm just a guest. <laughs> You are, and you'll never come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, I guess what about you? you? So you're just you're just totally nay on it. Yeah, I just say if, if I had, if, you know, if, uh, since I created this false choice, I'm going to yeah. stick by its, its parameters <laughs> okay. and say nay, absolutely not. You may yeah. either use handouts or you must never use them. It's, yes, there's no middle ground. <laughs> That's right. If I could obliterate all handouts in the world, I would. <laughs> yeah. So I think. Uh, I yeah I, I think I fall a little bit more towards uh, Chris's side of this. I don't have this handout extremism that that you seem to have. About, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I do think one one thing we haven't talked about that handouts can do is that they can um, they can assist players with sort of record keeping about a campaign. And again, I think this makes more sense in some game genres than in others. But in Call of Cthulhu. Handing out uh, handouts, you know, letters or train tickets or newspaper articles, newspaper clippings is a way of um, uh, giving handing clues to players um, who may need to remember them a couple of sessions down the road. Um, and mm-hmm. if they have them in a little folder of their newspaper clippings, they can go back and see exactly where that what time that train left or um you can assist players by kind of giving them the clues that they'd otherwise have to scroll down on the back of their character sheet. And I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I would use handouts in a game like Call of Cthulhu or a mystery uh, or an investigative horror type game. I, I don't see too many situations where I would put in the effort in like a, you know, a D&D type game um, to do elaborate handouts. Unless there is a real special case, you know, I, you know, if you, if you actually, if you absolutely have to have that handwritten letter from Strahd in the Gothic font, I guess, uh, you know, sometimes there's a certain joy in doing that, but. Yeah. Ooh, you know, actually, all right, I might have to take it all back because I just thought of the best handout to, to give someone in a Dungeons and Dragons game mm-hmm. is um, like Bilbo's death contract with the, with the <laughs> dwarves. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, like as soon as you agree to this adventure, there's just like this huge scroll that every player has to sign that talks about funeral expenses. Yes, <laughs> on the uh, on first edition AD and D character sheets, there's like a will, last will and testament like section. I'm almost oh, positive. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Like so, yeah, that I agree. That that would be a gorgeous thing. And if you do have that, it needs to be a big, long, like, parchment oh, that you yes. pass around. Uh, yeah. You know, no printouts uh, in the courier font. Uh, yeah, but... next Yeah, next game, next game I, I run, I am going to start by having all characters uh, write a 200-word living will. I think yes. that's just... <laughs> <laughs> really sets the tone for the adventure. Yeah, just nice and light. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I think in conclusion, handouts are um, totally the worst, but maybe sometimes the best. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and you're welcome for all the insight. Um, 
So the final thing we do on the show is we ask our guest uh, who to uh, add something to our D10 table of random topics, something to replace the topic that we rolled uh, in this recording. So, uh, Kyle, do you have a topic you would like us to add uh, to the list here, knowing that uh, a future sucker slash guest uh, <laughs> might wind up having to discuss this with me and Chris? Something about like reading the block test in published adventures or, or reading your own block text in published adventures, yay or nay. Mm, I like that. It's a yay or nay question. So you now you have to abide by my rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to be a short one if someone rolls that. Yeah. <laughs> We're not trapped on this podcast with Kyle. We're, yeah. Uh, or he's got the point Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, that's, well. that's, that's super good. Yeah, we will, we will update the table appropriately. Um, yeah, Kyle, uh, thank you a lot for coming on. Um, this was super fun, and I hope that you come back some other time and hopefully roll your own, own topic so you can yeah, abide. Yeah, you should be so lucky. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, you know, what kind of projects are you working on? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I do have a fantasy webcomic called The Savage Beard of She-Dwarf. Um, so you can type in www.shedwarf.com or Shedwarf, if you will. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that looks seems like a good idea until you get that URL and you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it updates uh, mostly weekly. Now that I'm in grad school, it, it, it does it does not update every week, but almost every week. Yeah, and it's a full color webcomic about a bearded lady dwarf who is searching for the lost kingdom of Dameron to find out what happened to her people. So, yeah, wow. it's a it's a it's a romp. It's really good. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, you're I you're a man so. of <laughs> distinguished taste, my friend. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's super good. Um, and then let's see. So I know about this. I don't know if you're talking about this publicly, but the 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 dungeon, the like dungeon rooms thing you're doing, the exquisite corpse. Oh yeah. So um, yeah. I, yeah, I'm still looking for um, for more things. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have show notes or whatever, but we do. I yeah, we can just, throw it in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am still uh, have a complete open submission policy as long as you stick to the format. I'm, I'm making a. A collaborative dungeon called the uh, the Tomb of the Exquisite Corpse, and it's based on this old um, surrealist writing game that referred to as the Exquisite Corpse, uh, where you you write a sentence um, and you use that sentence to you to then extrapolate out into a room description that will go into this bizarre dungeon, uh, mm-hmm. and then another one for a monster encounter, and basically. Yeah, some poor. I can't imagine who would ever run this thing. But I think I think it would be great to have like in your back pocket, um, like if you if you need to stock a dungeon with just like the creepiest, mm-hmm. weirdest, non sequitur monster you 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 can think of. Like people's submissions have been so good, and oh, it's yeah. like they they are absurd, bordering on funny but also deeply unsettling each and every one of them. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I, yeah. I wrote one and it was a, a fantastic writing prompt. So for GMs out there, something to yeah stretch their, their creative muscles a little bit. It's, it's a great prompt. Um, yeah. And I've read a couple of them and they're, it's phenomenal, right? <laughs> yeah. You would never run it as a whole dungeon by itself, but yeah, definitely for cherry picking kind of ideas out of, or just getting your, 
um, getting your wheels turning on on how to how to write an interesting room. It's fantastic. So I hope that keeps going. Yeah. So we'll throw a link to that in there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kyle. Um, again, I've been Chris Salzman, and I'm Andy Rao. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.